0: So, uh, We've been jumping in, we're in week two now of a series called Turn the Key. And what we're doing is we're trying to look through the scripture and look through the words of Jesus and look through the words of the New Testament and the Old Testament and find keys that God has given us to access the life that we believe he wants us or has for us. Last week we started out and we just said, hey, listen, we're now a people that are convinced that when Jesus said, It is to the glory of my Father that you bear much fruit and that it'll be fruit that will remain. When Jesus said, my people who follow me, if you follow me in faith and you give your life to me and you pursue after me, we believe that when Jesus said that you're going to be like a city perched on a hill whose light illuminates for miles, you can see it. You're going to be a standout, Jesus said. We believe that he said, I am the vine, you are the branches, and if you remain in me, you'll not bear some fruit, you'll, be, you'll bear much fruit. We believe that when he said, you're the salt of the earth, you're just you're a standout. Jesus over and over and over said that we would our lives following him would be evidenced by fruitfulness. And so we read that last week, and we looked at it, and we said, okay, we just believe now that Jesus cannot lie. He didn't exaggerate, and so if my life isn't abounding in fruitfulness, and, and again, we have room for things that we can't control, and, and, and it's biblical to know that we go through seasons of suffering, and through the dark places, and through the valley, we aren't one of those places that just preaches, if you follow Jesus, nothing difficult will ever happen. On the contrary. However, we do believe that no matter what happens, the promise of Jesus is this, that you'll bear much fruit in every season, in the valley or on the mountain. He wants to give us grace that actually flows through us and over us into our lives. And we said we believe Jesus in this. Anybody believe Jesus in this? And so the the purpose of this series has been, okay, if Jesus has put these things on the table, if he said fruitfulness is our birthright then what are we missing that we aren't walking in that fruitfulness? And we have been looking through the Scriptures for different keys that help us unlock or access the things that the Lord has already given us. That's the purpose of this series. This is a Now That You Are a Believer series, here's what we're going to do to access all that it means to follow Jesus. This is a a, a Next Steps series, and we started it last week. And this week, I want to continue the work we did And we're gonna start to make the rubber meet the road. If you were here last week, we talked about how God wants to prosper us in all we do But that prosperity actually begins with a future promise and that how you understand what is to come and how you understand the coming kingdom and the reality of heaven actually gives us power in the present today. But we're going to actually today now come a little closer to where the rubber meets the road. In the weeks to come, we're going to get into some real practical, specific things. But today is all about positioning and posturing yourself for promotion positioning and posturing yourself for favor. And to do that, I wanna read a passage of scripture and I'm gonna unpack it. If you have a Bible, open to Philippians chapter two, one of my favorite scripture passages in the whole Bible. If you don't have a Bible of your own, we got some great folks in red shirts, they'd hand one to you, just slip your hand up, that's our gift to you. If you're online, go to uversion.com or Bible Hub, you can follow along there. Philippians chapter two, let me read it and then I'm gonna unpack it. Are you with me? If you let me know you're awake, this will go much faster. All right, verse one. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if anyone if any comfort from his love, If any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded and having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. These are the words of Paul. He's writing to the church in Philippi. Paul is in prison. It's 10 years after he planted this church. So this church has been trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus for 10 years without their original pastor. And Paul now writes them this letter to help them get next steps on what it's gonna look like to follow after Jesus and to see the life of Christ come to birth in their experience. Verse three, he says this. Now here's, what, here's the instruction. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interest of the other in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to cling on to. Rather, he gave it up. He made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, everybody say, therefore. Therefore therefore God exalted him, the byproduct was of Jesus's actions, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That name, at the, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore, therefore here's what you're going to do my dear friends. As you have always obeyed, Not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God. Children of God. Blameless and pure. Mature children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then... Then you will shine among them like the stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. What an instruction and what a promise. Paul says, as you apply these things, as you do these things, I'm gonna look at them in a second, but he said the end result is gonna be like this. You're gonna be mature children of God and you are gonna be so, so, such a standout that you will actually, your life will radiate like a star pops out of the blackness at night. God, God is going to so do a work in your life that you will shine like the stars in this world. When you are at the workplace, when you go to, when you go to your business, when you go to the gym, when you go to, to the golf course, or wherever you go, you are going to be the type of person that gleams and radiates the glory and goodness and grace of God. That's what Paul says. Isn't that amazing? I think sometimes we get lost in the poetry of it, don't we? You're gonna shine like stars, you'll be a star. That's, that's not, like, think about what he's saying. He's saying God is going to so promote you and elevate you. He's going to so transcend him. He's going to so move in you that you're going to actually shine like the stars in this world. That's incredible. And he gives us keys as to how to do that. And I love the language he used. And I love that he actually talks about being children of God and mature children and how as children of God, there's actually ways in which we align ourselves to experience what God has for us. One of the things I've noticed As a father, I have three kids, Ava, Aiden, and Alexander, and I've noticed as I've watched them, it's given me some perspective on understanding what maturity is in the world. Because you don't notice it while it's happening in you so much, but when you watch your kids develop, you can get a different perspective. And I've noticed that maturity has a lot to do with understanding the forces of the world that are working in your favor and the forces in the world that are working against you. What do I mean by that? A mature child who has a healthy relationship with their parents comes to the realization as they grow older that my parents aren't the enemy. Isn't that what happens? Like a good child in a good parental relationship it eventually gets to that place where they realize, the child realizes, my parents are, are largely, by and large, in my corner. They're for me. And they're exhausting every resource they have in my favor. You see, when you're really young, when you're, when you're, you're a newborn and a toddler, you don't understand this. So you live most of your life in the early years petitioning your parents, petitioning those around you to try to convince them in your mind to do something good for you that they weren't going to do for you beforehand. That's so what crying is. That's what whining is. That's why my three-year-old, when he wants something, he doesn't understand how to ask. He whines about it. Right? But as you grow older, you start to come to the realization that okay, maybe there's if I if I operate a certain way and I align myself with the with the with my parents, maybe I don't have to convince them to do something for me that they don't already do. Maybe the better play here is to actually align myself in the flow of their good grace. Maybe I'm already in their good graces and I just got to stand in the way of it. What do I mean by that? Let me, if you're taking notes, you can write this down. Christian maturity, come into the place where you are flourishing and growing and fruitful, walking in the blessing and promotion and favor of God, isn't so much about petitioning him to do something in you or for you that he doesn't already want to do. It's not about petitioning. Finding favor with God isn't about petitioning or convincing him of anything. It's not about petitioning. Finding favor with God is about positioning. It's about posturing your life and setting your life in a certain place that actually gets you in alignment with the flow of what he, of who and what he is, and what he already wants to do for you. Maybe say it different. Finding favor or, or obtaining favor in your life isn't so much about can you can you find it, but more it's about can you get in the place where favor finds you. Are you tracking? Are you with me? It's, it's, it's not about convincing. It, it, so for a lot of us, we're going deep with this series, because I want us to grow up. A lot of us, when it comes to God, have an immature toddler-level mindset. We think about God like he's this being that, I've, that doesn't want to do anything good for me and he treats the other kids better. He's got favorites, clearly, because you know we all came to church at the same time and this person's getting all the good stuff with God and my life just seems to keep be going this way and we start to convince ourselves that God doesn't treat us fairly. Any parents ever see that with your kids? Hey, why does he get a present? Right? We convince ourselves that God doesn't treat the kids fairly. That he's got favorites, but maturity comes when when you start to realize actually, God has no favorites, He just has favor. And he's pouring it out, and it is available for us to access. And maturity happens when we start to realize that, that it's not so much that I've got to convince God and hoot and holler and stomp and scream to get him to do something in my life, but if I just act and operate in a certain way, the grace of God will flow more freely in my life, and it will, it will leverage itself in my life, and I'll start to see more results. I remember I remember being a teenager, like having that discovery with my own parents, like realizing in my early teen years that, hey, you know what? My parents, they pack lunches for me every day. They buy my clothes. They, I have this bed in this room. There's a roof over my head. And by and large, if I just do the right things, they leave me alone. They let me do what I want. I get a, I get a long lease. I remember actually explaining that to my, my little cousin who's a couple of years younger than me and was just getting in trouble with his parents all the time. I'm like, hey man. If, if you just do what your parents want you to do, they'll leave you alone. It's amazing. <laughs> and it wasn't occurring to him. Again, maturity is connected to realizing. And we see this in the real world, don't we? Like the immature approach to, to promotion in your job or success in your job is not to whine and scream and, and demand your rights, although we live in a world where that is more popular than ever. That is not the way to be promoted. People who have done well in life, people who have done well in the business world, people who have done well in their field, if you talk to them and you get near them and say, what did you do? You'll find people that made certain moves and ordered their lives in a certain way so that the things that can work in their favor would. And so when it comes to us following Jesus and experiencing the grace of God flourishing in our lives to experience the abundance that I believe God wants to experience, it's not as much about getting God to pour out some grace that he's holding back from you. I believe God is holding nothing back. So it's more about us getting ourselves in position and, and, posturing ourselves within the framework of his grace already and allowing favor to find us. I'm convinced of this, and I've seen it in my life to to increasing degree, and I'm seeing it more and more in people that I know or people that God has introduced me to, is that favor just seems to find a certain type of person. And it's not because they're special, it's because they posture themselves in a certain way to receive what God already wants to give them. And so all I want to do today is I want to help us, before we go any farther with this series, to see and look at how do we posture ourselves for promotion. Like, is there anybody here who does not want to experience more of the favor and grace of God in your life? Anybody? You, you're, you can leave if you don't want it. But most of us are like, yeah, I would take more grace and more favor and more breakthrough. Would we not? So let's, let's look at how we posture ourselves so that favor finds us. Not that we have to whine and scream that, that we would find favor, but it would find us. Are you tracking? Does that concept make sense before we go any farther? So favor finds. Who does favor find? First thing, if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. Favor finds the humble. The posture or position of promotion actually begins with humility. Favor finds the humble. Look at what Paul accentuates in his scripture. He tells us in verse 3, he says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. There's the key. Rather, in say it out loud, Uh, say it again. (laughs) There you go. All right, in humility, value we're gonna come back to that others above yourself. And then he tells us we have to have the same mindset as Christ, do what Jesus did. Who he says, being in very nature God, what did he do? He made himself low, he became a servant, and he went so low that he humbled himself to death, even the shame of the death of a cross. And then it says in verse 9, if you go forward, I want you to see this because I want you to see the the incentive of humbling yourself. When Jesus humbled himself, look what happened. Verse 9 says, therefore, everyone say therefore, here comes the result. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, you're not Jesus, But Jesus has given us a demonstration of a principle here. And Paul says, have the same mindset as Christ. Do what Jesus did and understand that when Jesus humbled himself, God elevated him. When Jesus humbled himself, God exalted him to the highest place. Why did Jesus get exalted to the highest place? Why? It's it's not just because he's God or because he deserves it. He was exalted to the highest place because he humbled himself to the lowest place. He went lower than anybody ever has or will go. Like, how far did he humble himself? We're talking the King of kings and Lord of lords, the one who was uncreated but begotten, the one who from before time began held the earth in his hand, the one who is the son of the living God, the radiance of his glory, the full expression of the glory of God, who is 24-7 worshipped in heaven nonstop, all day, every day. It never stops. He left that glory and became a frail human, was born into obscurity, unknown, unnoticed, And he lived his life and then went all the way down to the point where he was washing his disciples' feet. Like you think about that, the God who made everything washing feet. And then not only that, that was a demonstration of what he was doing for all of us when he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross, stripped naked, humiliated publicly, shamed on our behalf. He went lower and then he even went all the way to death. He descended into death. No one has ever humbled themselves lower than Jesus, which is why no one will ever be exalted higher than Jesus. But there is a principle for us to follow as his children. Like Jesus, if we understand when we start to humble ourselves when we actually actuate humility in our lives and we choose like Jesus to give up our right to be right, to give up our right to be seen and edified and glorified, to give up our whatever it is, to actually push that away and take the low position. When we do that, we are positioning ourselves for promotion. God loves to exalt you when you humble yourself. It's biblical. Some of you are looking like, I'm not sure, man. Look at this, James chapter 4. James 4 says this God opposes the proud. God opposes the proud, but shows, say it out loud, he shows favor to the humble. So it's not so much that God has favorites. It's not that God likes me more than you or likes that person more than he likes me. That's not what's here. It's not that he shows favor to this type of person or to, to this nationality or this race or to men or women. It doesn't say that. Who does God show favor to? The humble. Who has the opportunity to be shown favor? Woohoo! All of us. You can leave today in the favor and grace of God just by exercising Humility. If you want to get God on your side, in your space right away, just humble yourself. Boom, he's there. He exalts. Look look what it says in verse 10, James 4, verse 10. It says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will say it like you believe it. He'll lift you up. And this is the act of faith. And this is rooted, this is rooted in a high view of God. This is rooted in, a, in the realization that you're God and I'm not. And as you humble yourself before an unseen God, you trust that he does a better job of lifting you up than you do in lifting you up. That's where faith comes in. Look, what is pride? Pride is not thinking highly of yourself. You understand that? That's part of it. But pride is not like you have such a high view of yourself. Pride is having a self-focus. Pride is when you make yourself the focus or object of the highest attention in your world. That is what pride is. So you can be a very proud person and have a high view of yourself and try to convince people that you're awesome and try to be noticed and get all the Facebook likes and that's pride. But you know what else is pride? The person who hides and who always self-debases themselves and, and, and pulls them, themselves down and speaks poorly of themselves and has a low view of themselves. I want to tell you, and some of you, that's, that's you today. You're proud. Why? Because pride isn't how you view yourself. Pride is that you view yourself. Pride is that you are the focus. So if you have high self-esteem or low self-esteem, the problem is not whether it is high or low. The problem is self-esteem. Do you see that? That we live in a world where pride is celebrated, don't we? Is he going there? (laughs) Woo, you just woke up. Yeah, we live in a world where pride is celebrated, and self-esteem is celebrated. You be you, and you have the right to do you, and you stand up for what you believe in, and you. no know one should tell you. Like we live in a world where that is celebrated and applauded. Oh, good for you. You be you. You can't take the Bible seriously and stand in agreement with that. You can't parade around the, the, this idea of pride. And and, and for those of you who think I'm making a statement on human sexuality or any of that stuff, that's not what I'm talking about right now. Although, fun fact, in October, I'm going to do a series called Trending. We're just going to talk about all the stuff that will get you in trouble. So come back to church. (laughs) But my statement here is this, that that we cannot celebrate self-promotion. We can't celebrate pride. Why? Because when you are doing that, we as Christians, based on what the Word of God says, believe that as soon as you start self-promoting, you stand in opposition to the grace of God. That's terrifying. Like every time that you start self-proclaiming and self-promoting and self-esteeming yourself, you are actually stepping into opposition to the grace of God. But when you humble yourself, you are posturing yourself for God to come and lift you up. And beware, just beware of false humility. Beware of it in yourself. Beware of your own pride. Sometimes your pride is exposed when you have a hard time celebrating someone else's promotion that's a that's a telltale man it's i find i find the church has a really hard time we love when people humble themselves before the lord but we struggle when god lifts them up oh you think you're special don't you it's pride it's pride it's that same view it's that immature view of of the father that says oh clearly he's got favorites no you can humble yourself too and as you humble yourself god will lift you up that's good news Favor just finds the humble. And you have an invitation to elevation. Like you can just start seeing the grace of God unlocked in your life in increasing measure if you start humbling yourself. Here's the thing I'm convinced of. I can't be full of God and full of myself at the same time. It just doesn't work. I can, I can either empty myself so that I can receive more of God in my life or I can fill up on Brent but they just, they don't go together. It's oil and water and I need the oil. Whenever we exercise humility, we draw the favor of God to ourselves. When we humble ourselves, God lifts us up. If you will lower yourself, God will elevate you. So the people who are finding favor and receiving these breakthroughs in their lives, first and foremost, they all have this trait. They're humble. They're humble. Not self Debasing, not self-exalting. They're free of self and they focus on Jesus. Humility. There's another thing that's connected to humility. If you're writing notes, write this down. Favor, it finds the humble, but connected to that, I wanna say this, number two, favor finds the honorable. God is attracted to the humble and humility in action looks like Honor. Honor is simply humility with legs. It's it's humility expressed. Note what Paul says. He doesn't just tell us that, that Jesus was the most humble person that ever lived. What does he say? He demonstrated that, correct? He actually put his money where his mouth was. He put, he put his value on the line. And that's what he did. And it says he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross. And if you believe the gospel of Jesus, the cross is more than just a demonstration of the humility of Jesus. It's more than just a demonstration that God so loves you. Something very tangible happened on the cross, we believe. We believe the cross is the place where the value or the glory or the worth of King Jesus was actually deposited in your account. That's honor. Honor is to deposit something in someone else. It's to add value to someone else. That's what honor is. That's what, honor comes from the, the Hebrew word that's connected to the word glory, which is the Hebrew word kavod. Kavod means weight, it means value, it's, it's, it means something. And so to honor someone, it's to actually take a position that pushes away self promotion and then it takes what you do have and chooses to give it to others. That's what honor is. Jesus demonstrated this, and here's what I know to be true, and here's a kingdom principle. Favor and breakthrough and miracles and mighty work and grace and provision, it flows through people who have a position and posture and attitude of honor. And on the contrary, if we don't walk in honor, what's the opposite of honor? The opposite is a critical, complaining, pessimistic, self-focused spirit. That's the opposite of honor. Anybody want to be honest in church today? Struggle with that? Just that critical, complaining? Let me tell you something. And I, and I, I want our church, listen, I want nothing more for my own life and for your lives than for our church to grow in seeing God do mighty works in our day. I want that more than anything for us. But I'm convinced of this, until we change that, 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 that complaining spirit, that critical spirit in us, until we change that, we are going to limit what God wants to do in us. It's, this is biblical. Like, this was demonstrated amazing. Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6, the Bible tells us Jesus had been preaching and teaching And let me tell you, he was gaining steam and notoriety. People were saying, this is no ordinary person. Like something supernatural is happening wherever Jesus goes. He's raising dead people. He's healing illness. He's walking on water and calming storms. This is something special, people were saying. But the Bible tells us in Mark 6, he actually heads to his hometown. And it says in Mark 6, look what happened. It says Jesus left there and he went to his hometown. Where's Jesus' hometown? Trick question. He was born in Bethlehem, but he grew up in Nazareth. Nazareth, you know, like the band, Nazareth. No. (laughs) You you guys guys are are not like, I just want to see if you're with me. But it says Jesus went to his hometown, Nazareth, accompanied by his disciples. When, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. So Jesus, in his hometown, starts to preach and teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. They're absolutely amazed. Where did this man get these things? Speaking honor. They're placing value on Jesus with their words. Watch this. Someone else said, what's this wisdom he's been given? He speaks with authority. This is this is a man of God, they're saying. What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? This is incredible. Their, their faith is arising as they're depositing glory, and then watch something. The whole thing just gets locked down. And the flow of the grace of God in that town just stops. Watch what happens. There's a shift in the whole room and it has to do with the attitude that affects the atmosphere. Watch. says, isn't this the carpenter? Wait wait a minute. I know him. He's not special. That's just Jesus. That's that's Mary's boy. That was such an insult in that day to not say that's Joseph's boy. Like to say, that's Mary's boy. I, I knew him when he was six years old. I, that's James's older brother. His sisters are here. He's not important. He's not special. And their attitude shifted on him. So they weren't what? They weren't honoring him. They, they didn't have a posture of honor where they were depositing and adding value and using their words and their faith to affirm who he is and to create expectation. What were they doing? They were cutting him down, criticizing him. And watch what happens. It locks up the flow of what Jesus could do. This is crazy. This should make you shudder. Look what it says. And they took offense at him. That's what a critical spirit does. Somebody who is great or when God moves or, or somebody who God has elevated, if you are proud, you find somebody who is doing something great Offensive. I find that is a major factor in Atlantic Canada that is holding us back. We can't stand other people's success. We cut down the Irvings, we cut down the city, we cut down, we cut down all, that we have a critical spirit that God needs to deal with us in us. And as he, we get victory in that, you watch things shift. Look what happened. It says they took offense at him and so Jesus said a prophet is not with honor except in his own town, among his relatives and in his own home. Why why is there a connection between the hometown? Because they were viewing the sacred as common. They were complacent about Jesus. This happens in church. Some of you wonder why you come to church every week and you don't get anything out of it. It's because your expectation is common. It's because you're not viewing it through the eyes of honor. It's not your expectation. And look what it says in verse five. This This is what I wanted to show you. Dishonor locks down the kingdom. Verse five says he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Did you read that? Like Jesus could not do any miracles. Now, let me ask you a question. What changed? Did, does Jesus have some kryptonite that we're not aware of? Did Lex Luthor show up and all of a sudden he lost his powers? No, Jesus never changed. He says, I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. I I cannot, I do not change. So if Jesus didn't change, then what happened? Their attitude kept them from experiencing what God already wanted to do for them. Again, finding favor has more to do with how you posture yourself, the attitude and actions that we have than it has to do with whether or not Jesus wants to do anything in your life. I have it on high authority. God only ever wants to bless you and do good things in your life. And so the question is not, does he want to? The question is, will you receive it? And will you get in position to receive it? And when we operate in a spirit of dishonor, it locks up the kingdom. That is why excelling in honor is one of our values here. Let me ask you a question. Like if if you're not seeing God do great and mighty things in your life, I bet you a lot of it has to do that you have a critical spirit. Maybe you have a dishonoring spirit. Like how did you do on the way here this morning? Like, how did the conversation, how did you speak to your wife when she woke you up and said, you need to go to church? Right, like, like, how, how did that go? Like, how'd you do with your kids? You speaking life into them? How, how did that go? How did it go when you drove here and you stopped at shims and somebody decided that they wanted to check in their stack of lottery cards in front of you for 45 minutes? Like, how, how did you do? How's your spirit? That wasn't me. That was you. How'd you do on the, on the Hampton Road when somebody was driving 30 in a 60? <laughs> right. How's your spirit? How'd you do when you pulled in here and those lovely people in red shirts were waving you up to the upper parking lot because that's where, that's the, the spaces we have left and they were smiling at you and you pretended like they weren't there and you pulled over and you parked in the grass because I'm not gonna let you tell me where to go. And then you came in, oh, we're getting real now, aren't we? Then you came in church. <laughs> And somebody with a red shirt said, would you please sit up front? And you said, no, I seat myself, thank you very much. Like what? (laughs) How's your spirit? And then you wonder why God didn't do anything at church in me. And you wonder where, well, I didn't get anything out of it. Why? Because you weren't open to receive in the first place. But when we posture ourselves in humility and we start to take the position of honor and we use our words to build others up, and we say please and thank you, like I told you, I'm getting dad mode today. When we say please and thank you, we're kind to one another. We submit to authority. We submit to rules that are made, even if we don't understand them or don't like them, we, we go with it and we say, okay, yeah, you know what, if they decided that I need to park in the upper parking lot, I'm gonna do that and I'll do it with a smile on my face. When you do that, you are honoring God. That's why, that's why Paul tells us to honor authority. It's not whether or not the authority makes sense or deserves it. He doesn't care if your president is Trump or Trudeau or Nero. The issue is not, are they right? The issue is, how's your heart? And when your heart is positioned in humility before God and it says, you know what? I'm going to follow that law even though I don't agree with it. Or I'm going I'm I'm to I'm actually speak well. I'm not going to cut down that person even though I don't agree with everything they do. When you do that, you're, open, you're doing it unto God, not unto them. And when we start to do it, when you do it, you're pleasing the Father. And then he starts returning his pleasure upon you. If you would just start humbling yourself and looking for ways to honor others, I guarantee you, you're gonna start seeing God, an unseen God. Here's the thing about those. You you can't see those. They're invisible. But you'll start to see breakthrough in your life. I guarantee it. Favor finds the humble. Favor finds the honorable. One more quick point and we'll be done. But if you're taking notes, write this down. When we honor others, God honors us. That's why I'm desperate for our church and when we gather, this to be the most honoring place anywhere because I want God's presence. I want the glory of God deposited in us and I know one of the ways we make room for that is just by being a place that excels in honor. I wanna be those people. If we're gonna shine like the stars, like, like Paul says, it's gonna be because we made room through selfless acts and for, through honor, honor, an honoring spirit. Last thing, let's read it. Verse 12, here's my last observation. So are you getting it? You're getting it? Position, humility, honor. I have one more H word if you're taking notes. But let's look at verse 12 first. Or no, I'll tell you and then I'll read it. Number three, if you're writing notes, write this down. Favor finds the holy. Favor finds the holy. People who live a, a holiness lifestyle. I'm gonna unpack that in a second, but Paul helps us better than what I'm gonna do. Verse 12, look what he says. He says, therefore, my dear friends. So he gets talking about humbling yourself, mimicking Christ, adding value to others. And then look what he says. He says, therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. I want to come back to that. Just keep that in your mind. Here's what you do, he said. Talking about obedience, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you. As you work out, God works in you to change you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing. There it is again. God is really after that. Like he just doesn't want whiny kids. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Here's their final result. And then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. Favor finds the holy. Now, what does that mean? Now, holiness, that word for me, I grew up in, uh, I grew up in the church and I grew up in a part of the church that was known as like the holiness movement. Some of you grew up not in the church. Some of you grew up in different parts of the church. What I grew up in, a lot of emphasis was on this whole thing about holiness. Without holiness, no one sees the Lord. And you know, unless you take up your cross and follow Jesus, uh, being a good Christian is about what you don't do. You don't drink or smoke or chew or go with girls who do. Like that's, that's holiness. And that's what I was taught about holiness. But I've come to shift my understanding that if you view God through this lens of, I have to be holy so that I get God to like me, you are immature in your thinking. God already likes you. Again, back to this original concept. Finding fulfillment and flourishing in your life isn't about petitioning God, it's about positioning. But a lot of us, we think, if I do these acts, if I will live the holy lifestyle, if I'm obedient to God, that is my petition to get him to, to be good to me. That is not what Paul is saying here. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling is one of the most misunderstood, misapplied, and mispreached scriptures in the whole Bible, and in fact, has given me anxiety before. Because when you read that, you start to think, well, what does that mean? Does that mean like I can lose my salvation? Does that mean I was in, but now I'm not in? Or if i be bad, then I lose my, I lose my salvation? How does that work? That is not what Paul is saying. He says, work out your salvation, implying what? That you have it. With fear and trembling. With fear is reverence. And with trembling, a better translation is almost like pressure." It's, it's like weight, it's, it's, it's like feeble legs struggling to do the work. And the best way you can understand holiness is like this, spiritual fitness. Spiritual fitness. Here's what I've learned in my life. I have, I have a membership at The Good Life. I've had a membership at The Good Life for different years, many months. And there have been many months where I had a membership that I had hoped having the membership would make me fit. Anybody? Doesn't work like that. The membership gains you access to the things that are in the good life, but it's your job to actually get in there and start moving your body and moving the weight and doing the motions. Correct? You know where I'm going with this. Jesus has gained you access to the good life. Amen. Right? Like the good life. He has gained you access and so our job to experience the, the good life, it, it has less to do with if you don't do the good things. Listen, Paul is the one that said you are saved by grace alone, not through works. So where does the work come in? The work comes in after you believe Jesus gave you the path to the good life that will never, ever be revoked. But let me tell you something. He wants you to start living the good life and finding soul-level health and flourishing. But it doesn't just happen. So when Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, picture like if anybody ever lifted weights, what happens when you start to lift a lot of weight? Has anybody been under a lot of weight? You tremble. And what happens when you start putting pressure on your body like that, it actually starts to build up your muscles. And it starts to burn up the fat. And that's what Paul is talking about. And listen, a lot of us as Christians, you are like 10,000 Bible verses overweight. (laughs) You come to church, you hear it, you gorge on it, you eat up the the word, and then you do nothing with it. Some of you would have a level of, of fulfillment and health and flourishing if you would just take the thing the preacher said and do it all week long. Work your faith. It's putting it into action. It's working it out. It's walking it out. And the result of the workout is good health. Listen, it never feels good to go to the gym. I drag my butt out there all the time. It's never, it never feels good, but the results over time do feel amazing. And this is what Paul is getting at. He's like, if you just work it out, if you just start walking in faith, you start humbling yourself. You know, in that moment when you could eviscerate someone and make them look stupid, you give up your right to be right and you humble yourself and you elevate them and you say, you know what, it's okay. I'm going to turn the other cheek. Or that moment where you do the unseen thing because you know there's an unseen God watching. That's working out your faith. And as you work it out, you're going to start to transform. And people are going to say, hey, did you lose weight? They Because you used to be that person who, like, you would fly off the handle, and now I just saw that person cut you off in traffic, and you, like, waved them. I think you were praying for them. <laughs> like, did you lose weight? Because you're looking, you're looking different. You're shining. You're beautiful. That's what Paul's getting at. Work out your salvation in those moments when you can be that person who's self-centered and just wants to complain and vent your complaints to other people to try to get some deposit from them. He's saying, work it out. Swallow that and just start speaking life and watch. As you do the reps, watch God work in you. As you work it out, God works it in. As you do the reps, God works in grace in your life. That's what holiness is. I was... I, I, and again, I, I can't isolate it. I, I, it wasn't my parents that taught me this. I can't remember a preacher that taught me this. But what I heard through my immature thinking about God when it comes to holiness is that holiness are the things I do to gain access to the gym. Not true. Jesus gave me access to the good life. But holiness is what I do when I'm in there. And when I'm in there, if I start moving weights and I start moving my body and giving my body, like Paul says, offering my body as a living sacrifice, what begins to happen is I start to change and I start to experience life. Listen, I was given as a child, like like growing up in the holiness movement, I was was given a cross with no resurrection. There was no incentive. It was just, you better be a good boy or you're not gonna go to heaven. Anybody, like, I can remember, I got saved like 400 times between like, (laughs) age six and 16 every altar call because I knew I was a bad boy I would come up and I'd be like yeah God you saw that I know save me again right like my mindset my mindset was that of a child Dan you can come back we're gonna be done my mindset was that of a child I still had a view of God the Father who was not for me and I had to petition to do things and that if I was a bad boy, he would punish me. And if I, was, if I was a really good boy, he would promote me. That's not the issue. I had to come into alignment and start to hear the invitation. When Jesus says, look, if anyone comes after me, you deny yourself discipline. You take up your cross, humility, and follow me. And he says this, look what he says. He said, if you, and he says, anyone who wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me finds life. I was taught the, hey, you gotta lose your life thing. You gotta be selfless. You gotta be a disciple. You gotta be like Jesus. You gotta do the good things and be holy because without holiness, no one sees the Lord. I was taught that, but I was never told about the incentive. The incentive is this, that God rewards us as we seek him. And the reward is greater than the cost of sacrifice. That's what, for some of you who have like had seasons where you weren't, were were physically unhealthy and you had to change and you actually did see some results at the gym or whatever, you had a diet and you started to change. What happened? You started to find that the weight of the reward was starting to outweigh, the weight of the incentive of the reward was starting to outweigh the burden of sacrifice, Correct. The reason a lot of us never live holy lives is because we haven't convinced ourselves that the weight of the reward is greater than the burden of sacrifice. I just said a lot there, but just get this, hear this, and God's been working in my own heart about this. God is a rewarder of those who seek Him. He is a rewarder. There is a reward attached to holy lifestyle. There is a reward when you say, I'm gonna go without so that I can have. There's a reward when you say, Jesus, I'm gonna do the things you asked me to do even though they're hard. Reward comes as you work it out, he works in reward. I was led this week in the scripture, Proverbs. Let's read it. Proverbs 13, 21 says, Disaster pursues sinners, but prosperity is the reward of the righteous. Listen. God's not just saying be humble because that's the right thing to do, although it is. He's not saying just be a person of honor because it's the right thing to do. He's not saying just be holy because it's the right thing to do. He's saying do these things because the reward, the result is life and life to the full. So let me just say this. You can stand to your feet and I'm gonna pray, but let me just say this. Stand to your feet and we'll be done. As you pursue The Father, as you position your life in the humble place, in the honoring place, as you live a holy lifestyle. What is holiness? Holiness is wholeness. It's health. As you work it out, God will begin to work it in. I guarantee even this week, if you just make a few choices this week, like put this to the test. This week, choose to humble yourself and elevate God in all things. The higher you lift God up, the higher he lifts you up. Choose to actually... Find a way to deposit honor into someone else. Check your critical spirit. Check it. I'll tell you what, it's in me. God doesn't care about a critical eye. A critical eye can be helpful, but a critical spirit, he detests. A a complaining critical spirit kept the Israelites out of the promised land for 40 years. There is a promise for you, but you've got to check that and walk the walk of holiness. Work it out. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you, God, that you're calling us to not just hold a membership, but you want us to have the good life. You want us to have life and life to the full. And so, Lord, we just uh, receive that vision today, renew that vision of reward that I can actually live a life that is, you have elevated and illuminated in such a way that it shines like stars in the sky and that my life would so radiate your glory and goodness that it would cause people to point and hum and haw and be mesmerized by its beauty, Lord. Would you, would we recapture that vision? Would you open our eyes for that vision over each one of our lives, Lord? You want us to be those people as your children, fully mature, radiating the likeness of Christ that would stand out wherever we go. And so, Lord, we just lift our eyes to that vision And Lord, we position ourselves for that promotion. So Lord, would you teach us to take the humble place, to be people of honor, and to walk and work the work of holiness. We thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you, God, that you are maturing this church. We are not staying the same. We cannot follow Jesus and stay the same. We can't experience your grace and stay the same. We can't encounter the Holy Spirit and stay the same. And so, Lord, thank you that you are maturing us. Thank you that you love us enough to push us forward, to tell us the truth, to cut out complacency, to to destroy compromise, and and to create in us new hearts that bring about righteousness. Lord, we thank you for the reward of righteousness. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus, who is our model and the means and the power. Everybody said amen.